Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. A year in review, 2001. Everybody and welcome to the Gilda Films podcast year in review, the year that Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke could only dream about in the movies. Yes, that is right. It is two thousand and one, a Gilded Films Odyssey. Ooh, wow! Literally just thought of that off the top of my head. What do you know? <laughs> um, please listen to our nineteen sixty eight episode. That was like our first episode, so it's way down there. It's yeah. totally different than that. But no, welcome. Uh, you heard from Brett and you heard from me. And we want to welcome back somebody. And who is it? It's Maddie. Hello again, Maddie. Hello again, everybody. If uh, you remember her, she was literally just on the last one discussing the Best Picture nominees and that winner that we don't like to talk about. Beautiful mind. Yeah, she's giving us the face. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> None of them are good. <laughs> so that was that was an interesting episode because, again, the Oscars... Uh, no, they did not get the best picture right. Um, but yeah, so we're here. Uh, we're all still chilling at our homes through the quarantine, through everything. How's everybody doing? Brett, how are you doing? You know what? We're, we're making it through, making it through. Being able to watch movies helps. Um, and so, yeah. And Christian, you've been, you've been really great because um, obviously we, there's a lot going on in the world, uh, especially Black Lives Matter. Um, and you've been really great, like watch you know, updating on some of the films you've seen from black directors and black stories. And so it's kind of cool to have those films to kind of watch and um, engage with during this time. So. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if when this episode will be out, but if you have the chance, everybody definitely look at the criterion collection. Um, their online website is doing free. I'm not sure it's for, if it's just for this month or whatever, but they're doing free. Um, what do you call it? They took the paywall off. Yeah. Yeah. For, yeah, for a exactly. lot of their um, black directors and their films. Um, so definitely check that out. On Netflix, you have like Malcolm X. Um, check out Black Klansman. I'm not sure if that's streaming. I know The Hate You Give is streaming. I'm assuming on Amazon as in Selma. Do not watch The Help, friend. <laughs> Just Mercy's free too. And that one's really good. Too. Just Mercy, so. yes. Yeah, but I watched Malcolm X today at the time of this recording, and immediately after Netflix recommended me The Help. So wow, yeah, interesting. But yeah, obviously we we like engaging with movies and whatnot, and so it's a big part of why we do this. And so let's go ahead and we'll jump into these films from 2001. As always, we each selected two films that weren't nominated for Best Picture that we wanted to watch and discuss a little bit, and so. Um, Maddie, you picked our first film, so if you want to take it away with that. Yeah, definitely. So the first, uh, the first movie that I chose is um, Amelie, and the director of that is Jean-Pierre Jeannot. I believe that's how you say it. Um, so Amelie is a French film about a girl named, surprise, Amelie. 
who has had little to no contact with the outside world growing up uh, because her doctor father misdiagnosed her with a heart defect. Um, so when she becomes an adult, she takes her life into her own hands and moves to Paris to work as a waitress where she studies and observes the people around her without getting involved herself. Um, and then one day she happens across a time capsule type um, box in her apartment and she makes it her duty to return the items to the original owner. And uh, she watches his reaction as he rediscovers his childhood through the items and um, Amelie realizes her newfound purpose to reach out to strangers and make connections through her quirky personality and unconventional actions. Uh, this is my first time seeing this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. This is actually the only French movie I've seen other than Jules et Jim, which I'd watched in my film class actually. Um, I really like that one. But this is the only other French movie I've seen. Um, it felt very like Wes Anderson-y with the, uh, the color tone and a lot of the framing shots. Um, I thought, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It is very quirky. Um, I think a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people like it. A lot of people think it's overrated, but I enjoyed it overall. Yeah. Oh, go for it. Go for okay. it. Um, so I had seen this before, I think in high school, so I, I didn't really remember it. So it was pretty nice rewatching it because I have been wanting to. Um, Brett, I think you texted me. Uh, feels very Wes Anderson-y. And then I texted Maddie. Yeah, this kind of feels Wes Anderson-y. I mean, it really does too, from like the opening moments, even the opening credits. Um, but no, it was it was a cute little quirky movie. I don't think I'm the biggest fan of it though. Um, and like, we've had this discussion on uh, our 1962 episode where it's like the French New Wave and I don't really get along, but it's these types of French movies, the more modern stuff that I do like from France. This though, I don't know if I was totally vibing with it the entire time. Like Amelie is a cute character and her intentions are very nice. Like I love that she wants to pry into people's lives and sort of inspire everything. But at the end of it, I'm like, okay. Yeah, it wasn't the biggest impressive yeah. thing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, well, first of all, this is, this is a weird, film frame this is the first time i've seen it but i swear i've seen the poster to this movie like thousands of times on the internet and i don't really know why i i mean it, it, it's a good poster i guess but i never knew anything about what this movie was about i think i read like entertainment weekly is in the top 25 most famous posters see that doesn't surprise me because i see it so everywhere simple. it's just her and then the green background that's it yeah but um yeah, I, I kind of aligned kind of with you, Christian. I think, like, when this film started, I was, like, I felt like I was in for a wild ride. We're talking about her fish blubber and his suicide attempts. And that was just so, like, fascinating and interesting from the get-go, kind of her early life story and the narration that went along with that. Because there's a lot of narration in this film. Um, there's an unnamed narrator who is basically just going over everything she does. And at first I was into it. As the film went on, I felt just like really distant from Amelie. Um, I, I liked her as a character. Like Chris said, she's, she's kind of a, she's a nice character, fun character. But for some reason, I felt like I was just like 
not on the same level. I was distant from her as a viewer. And I think the narration was kind of the reason why. Like you both said, that's something that I know Wes Anderson has done a lot. He did it in a movie we're going to talk about later. Um, but I think in oftentimes in his case, his characters are so extreme and unique um, that it, that that distance feels a little more intentional. Um, but I don't know. I I, I don't. I, I struggled with how to assess this film because I I like the editing. I like the colors. I think the production design is great. I think um, Audre Tato. I'm not sure how her name is pronounced, um, but the lead role. I think she's good in the film. But at, at the end, I was also kind of like underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of felt long to me um, in some ways. So I don't know. I struggled with how to assess it. I agree. I was kind of waiting for there to be a point or like a mark made in the film, but I did, I felt like it's not, it's definitely not a movie that has like a message or I feel like I couldn't really take anything away from it. And I do think I overall liked the cinematography and the editing choices and the music and everything like a lot more than the story and i do agree with you brett there's like this definite disconnect from the main character even though i don't remember does she break the fourth wall yeah she did once or twice yeah was it in the movie theater where she's like i like looking at the people in the back and Uh, that's right yeah I don't know. Yeah, I didn't jive with that part very much. I I thought that that would be a good point with which she could connect with the audience, but she's it's still just like she's observing everything and instead of participating and yeah. Yeah. I I agree with those points. This is like a super popular movie too for France cuz it's like I don't know and I'm thinking now with our little discussion here that it seems that it's really the production value of this and the way it looks and the way it feels more than like Maddie said, like the, there's no point really. Again, her intentions are good, you know, to reunite this guy with his childhood. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Everything else is really pretty. Yay. Bonjour. It was really interesting to see the role of Princess Diana's death in it because like, that's like the marked event that like sets her out on this path and, what happens during there and you see it on newspapers everywhere it, it's really interesting i i and maybe i just didn't look into it even if i could never land on what that why that was it's really interesting other than it it takes place in paris where she died true yeah yeah true but yeah, definitely a successful film maddie do you want to go over some of the facts we have over on this Yeah, definitely. Um, So it had five Oscar nominations, Best Original Screenplay, Art Set Direction, Cinematography, Sound, and International Feature. Um, The role of Amelie was written with Emily Watson in mind, um, but she was busy filming Gosford Park. Uh, To date, it is the highest grossing French language film released in the United States with $33 million. There you go. Let's see. You're gonna make fun of me. Is it can? Is it the Can Film Festival? I've only ever seen it written. <laughs> I've heard it can and con. I've heard both. Yeah. Okay. The Can Con <laughs> Film Festival. <laughs> um. <laughs> 
everybody wins. It wasn't selected to run because they found it uninteresting, despite the film appealing to both art house and mainstream theater audiences in the long run. Well, they're not wrong. Yeah, that that honestly, like, it, it kind of sums up my thoughts on it interest, in an interesting way. But I don't know. I could see Emily Watson it, and I can see why it got some of these nominees nominations for sure. Um, but there's just something missing. So, at least for me. I will say I have a weird childhood story about this movie. Well, you have to share now. Okay, well, I mean, it's not like, oh, I walked into this movie as a child before. No. So, like, we used to listen to a jazz station. Um, it was a great jazz station, but my parents loved it. And my dad actually called in, and they were giving out, like, you know, free stuff. Call in, win a prize. And it was the Amelie soundtrack. And tickets to go see Amelie at our local little, um, I think it was the Rio Theater at the time, which, Maddie, you'll know the Rio Theater because we took our prom pictures there. Yeah. And my dad was like, uh, one, we're not going to see this because it's a French movie. And two, this isn't jazz music, so I'm taking it back to Walmart and getting my money. <laughs> so, full circle. That story just does not surprise me at all. I mean, I- <laughs> But yeah, any further thoughts on Amelie before we move on? It is also a musical. There we go. Yeah, it wasn't very successful though. Interesting. All right, Christian, I know you've, you love our next one, so take it away. Oh, I would sing if I had to. Okay, so this film um, blew me away the first time I saw it back in, I think, like 2013. I'd heard of it for a little bit. Uh, the Broadway play was coming out at that time as a revival. And so I watched it and it is Hedvig and the Angry Inch directed, uh, directed and written by John Cameron Mitchell and also starring John Cameron Mitchell. And he plays Hedwig, who is a gender queer East German rock singer. And through the course of the hour and a half, it is a very short film, but it makes a lot of good statements, a lot of good songs. We learn about Hedwig's life escaping uh, East Berlin coming to America with a GI soldier, getting dumped by him, and then falling in love with a soon-to-be rock star. That sort of takes the stardom and popularity that Hedwig always wanted. Um, like I said, some great songs in this, including like Sugar Daddy, Wig in a Box, Midnight Radio. Uh, yeah, great stuff. And uh, yeah, John Cameron Mitchell is Hedwig. Uh, I think it's a great performance. It's actually one of my favorite performances. Ever. Um, this was an off Broadway play. Again, John Cameron Mitchell played Hedwig. Uh, yeah, no. Um, Brett's seen this. So I want to know what Maddie thought first because this is her first time. Wow. I loved it. I, I, yeah, I didn't go into it. I tried not to go into it with any like kind of expectations or preconceived notions or. I didn't see anything about it. I didn't read about it. I didn't watch anything about it. The only thing I knew was the title and what the title comes from. Um, But like, what a profound, interesting, like fascinating dive into gender and the trans community and the queer community and the music is amazing. And I mean, you can just read the lyrics as poetry, but it's just like a bonus that they're set to music. Um, I thought all the actors were amazing and wow, wow. 
I was like super duper impressed with it. It's probably like top three musicals at this point. Ooh, yeah, nice. I cried also a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. I'm changing people's lives. Amazing. Love to see it. I, I did forget to leave that out though, because Maddie brought up um, where the title comes from Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I don't really want to spoil what the Angry Inch means, other than it is also the name of her band, mm-hmm. but there's a whole reason why it's called the Angry Inch. And you got to watch it because it's. It's interesting. There's a again, there's a whole song about it. Yeah. And the scene where that song takes place, like that's an that's an awesome scene too. Um and whatnot. But yeah, uh yeah, this is the second time I've seen it. And I, I don't know, I think the first time was like three years ago. And in those three years, it's held up completely. Um, I agree. John Cameron Mitchell is amazing in this movie, just completely um takes on this character, Hedvig, and just really you can tell that john cameron mitchell is passionate about this character and about this story and about this performance um he's just so into it wig in a box is you know it might be cliche to say because i think it is one of the more popular songs from the movie um from the musical but i love that song so much i recently yeah, I, I recently made like a Spotify playlist of like movie songs. And it was one of the first ones that I put on. And I, I, it's not original, like it was with the musical, right? Yeah. Like, so it couldn't have been nominated for an Oscar, but if it could have, it would definitely be my pick for um, best original song that year. Um, but that one, The Origin of Love is really good as well. I mean, there's every song is pretty awesome, and really great and takes on different um tones as well um you know Hedvig and the Ingrinch they are like a punk rock band but not every song is you know kind of in that typical punk rock style it takes different um directions as well Mm. and so but yeah I pretty much echo all you said you know this really great look at um this character you know and being part of the trans community and the queer community and um just really a, a really really good character not just one of the most lovable and interesting and fun characters from 2001 but just in general um film and musical characters and so and looking at you know all the trials and tribulations that Hedvig goes through and I love movies about struggling musical artists I don't know there's something about them that always clicks with me and this fits right in there um into those types of films um especially with her struggles with love um, I think that's a pretty big key theme throughout the film, um, especially with Tommy Gnosis, who, you know, basically stole her songs and went and made a career out of it and how that all unfolds as well. So it's funny thinking about it that like Hedvig shouldn't really be a character you care about because there's times where she seems like an asshole, especially to like her husband. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, with the whole passport situation. But then it's like, as the story unfolds and you learn about where she came from, her situation with the soldier, who was her first husband, um, you, you know, obviously get compassion. And then it's, it turns funny when half of these songs are sung at places where it's like, there's a salad bar right next to the stage. And these old white people, they don't really care. Yeah. What's the chain? Bilgewaters? Is that what it is? Something like that. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's really funny. I also love that Hedwig lives in Junction City, Kansas for a while. Like, that's an interesting... <laughs> well, because I think that's where John Cameron Mitchell's from. Oh, really? Um, let's see. Yeah, so he was born in El Paso and then raised on a variety of army bases, including in Kansas, and attended St. Xavier High School, Junction City, Kansas, and St. Pius X High School, Albuquerque, New Mexico. How about that? Look at all these connections. So we all three have a connection here, John Cameron Mitchell. <laughs> Five degrees of John Cameron Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> um, what a snub also. Like, yes. out of all the movies that, you know, we watched for this, like, I couldn't believe. I mean, I can believe. I can absolutely believe how much it was snubbed. But it's, like, it's infuriating. It was such a good movie. Such a good movie. I don't yeah. think it's down on the fun facts, but he did win Best Director for this at the Sundance Film Festival. That is awesome. Nice. Been nominated for the Globe, and I mean, they have the Academy has their biases because you know musicals and movies, blah blah blah. But come on now, yeah. after watching Blanc Rouge, I mean, right? But after watching like I Am Sam today, and I absolutely hated <laughs> that film. This is like the fifth nominee that should have been. Yeah. And I, I mean, he, John Cameron Mitchell is doing really interesting stuff behind the camera here too. I mean, he's got visuals that he's using. He is, you know, messing with the lenses and, you know, telling a, a nonlinear story here. And so, I mean, his work as a director is about as good as his work as an actor here too. But I do think it's cool if the Golden Globes did nominate him. I mean, that was actually a bit surprising to me because this seems like the type of movie that awards bases would not seek to reward in any way but he should have been nominated for an oscar so but yeah fun facts yes go for it so before this was the off-broadway musical john cameron mitchell and writer stephen trask who was also in this uh one of the backup band members um they would present hedwig at like clubs and it would be the first drag performance art i mean not like there weren't already, but this was special because it had a full-on storyline featuring songs and a band. And then it got to Off-Broadway. It was a massive success there. Uh, did not find its way to actual Broadway till 2014 when it was revived. And then Neil Patrick Harris was in that. It's fine that he's in it. His versions of the songs are all good, whatever. But then John Cameron Mitchell, like a couple months after Neil Patrick Harris left, got to play Hedwig on Broadway, and that's fun. Um, this only grossed $3.6 million on a $6 million budget, so unfortunately. John Cameron Mitchell sang live. We always talk about stuff like Les Mis was the first one to sing live. <laughs> There's many more musicals that did that. And then Rosie O'Donnell helped get this, um, the off-Broadway show noticed, and she is, there's like a cameo of her in this film, and Hedvig, and that's from one of the performances that she had on her show. Um, yeah. There's also another interesting story about like when it was on Off-Broadway performing on The Letterman Show and the producers would not let John Cameron Mitchell take off the wig. And he could only assume that it was because they wanted the audience to think that this was a woman and not like somebody doing full on drag because it was a different time. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Rosie O'Donnell, for giving us more attention. I hope she listens to us. <laughs> always looking for new followers 
yeah, great movie. Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, yeah, any other thoughts on Hedvig and the Angry Inch before we move on to our next one? It's on HBO and it's on Criterion. And uh, I emailed and tweeted Criterion enough that damn it, it got a Criterion last year. <laughs> so thank you, Christian. Single-handedly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, our next film is an early Christopher Nolan movie called Memento. Right, now, are um, we going to start at the beginning, the middle, or the end of this? You know what? I'm just going to... We're going to start as if we've already discussed this and move our way backwards and we'll get there. <laughs> no. um, but this film stars Guy Pierce in the lead role. And he is a man who um, his last full on memory is him and his wife um, being assaulted by two men and his wife uh, being sexually assaulted and killed in the process. And so as a result of this incident where he was um, injured, um, he has anterograde amnesia, which means he has an inability to form new memories. So basically, every 15 minutes, his memory from after that point is wiped. Um, but he has this mission to solve his wife's murder and basically get revenge on the men who killed her. How does he do this? Well, he uses a system of um, Polaroid fo photographs. So he'll take photographs of people, places, things, and write little notes to himself on them. And for more severe notes, he will actually give himself tattoos to remind himself of different things that have come across in this search. There are, def there are different people um, helping him out in this progress. There's a guy who he knows as Teddy. Um, really good performance from Joe Pantoliano. Um, Natalie, who's played by Carrie Ann Moss. They kind of show up, and it's kind of mysterious who they really are, but they seemingly help him along the way. But the really interesting thing about this film is the narrative form it takes. And so on one hand, there are some black and white scenes that are going basically forward in time, um, beginning from the beginning of the plot. But most of the film considers a film shot in color that are actually going backwards in time. And so we'll watch like a five-minute segment that took place at what should be the end of the film, go back to the black and white segment, then go back to... A different scene earlier on i don't know how else to explain it it's really confusing but it makes sense when you watch at least i thought so i promise i was just completely this is one right i expect to be blown away and for the most part i was um i was just completely interested and drawn in right from the get-go i found it you know, I, I was worried this might be just kind of a gimmick and maybe it is but it works so well for me I didn't find it confusing once I like got in the hang of it and kind of figured out what they were doing with the story. I actually found it pretty easy to follow too. Um, and so Christopher Nolan, I mean, his, his thing is he works with time. That's, you know, his thing as a director present and basically all of his movies, um, except for maybe the Batman series. And this is definitely one of his early starting points in getting into that. And so I loved it but I want to hear your thoughts. Ladies first. Oh, she points at me. All right. So, <laughs> hello. I'm the ladies. Uh, no, it's good. Uh, I thought we had to watch two movies that Brett picked that really mess with your mind. And out of those two, uh, this is the easier one to actually follow. Uh, by like, far. By yeah. Like Brett says, it goes 
backwards, it goes forwards, it goes all which ways, but it is kind of easy to follow, I will say, which I liked. Um, it's funny because I think I texted one of you and I was like, I have seen this, but just like the character, I don't remember a damn thing about it. Ha 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 But no, yeah, it's good. Um, I would definitely really want to watch this sometime, maybe. I don't know. I told Maddie I'm not that pressed, but I want to watch this in chronological order because there is a bonus DVD on one of the discs that you can actually find it in the order that it's supposed to go. But yeah, um, really messes with your mind. And it's a really cool setup, I think, the whole Polaroids and tattoo stuff. And it's a very simple, it's a very simple movie. There's like not a whole lot of characters. It feels like all the action takes place literally within the same street. You know, like the hotel, the bar, and some extra stuff. And it's like, that could be the same building just across the street from each other. Right. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. I've never seen Guy Pierce in a starring like lead role before. Um, I really liked him in this though. Um, yeah, I didn't think it was super confusing in the beginning. It kind of throws you off, but then the rest of the movie are trying to figure out who is manipulating the main character or what position does he have in this, or it keeps you guessing the whole time. Um, and it's kind of turning you on your head the entire time, which I thought was a lot of fun and super interesting. Uh, my favorite part was the side story that he was telling, talking on the phone about. Um, Sammy, I believe, is the uh, character's name who had a similar condition. Um, and it was just telling the story of that uh, and the whole uh, insurance situation that was going on with it and what they eventually determined that it was oops that it was a um a mental block and not a physical condition um but i that's probably those are my favorite scenes are the ones when he's talking about the that character who had that condition that he had but yeah i thought it was a super interesting movie i thought it was really well paced um yeah all of the characters are awesome um yeah, I really liked this one. I didn't know what to uh, expect going into it. I honestly had never heard about it before we watched it. I've heard about all the other movies, but this was this is the only one, so it feels maybe underrated in my opinion. Yeah, I really like that side story too, and the way that all comes together because it's really interesting. Because it's one of those things where like it's not confusing, but it's also not it's not telling you a whole lot in each of those scenes either. So you're kind of like, okay, where is it going? I think it's helpful that it does that because it puts us on a similar level to the main character where he's obviously going to find it difficult to know what's going on. And though it's easy to follow, we still don't really know what's going on until all these big reveals happen. So, yeah, really interesting. This is also, this is based on a short story, Memento Mori, that was actually written by Christopher Nolan's brother, Jonathan Nolan. So kept it close to the family, I guess, but. Okay, let me see here. So um, this actually did receive two Oscar noms, Best Original Screenplay, Best Film Editing. The editing is amazing in this movie. Wouldn't work without good editing. Um, and the medical condition, it is real. Um, Anterograde amnesia is the inability to form new memories after damage to the hippocampus part of the brain. Hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, Steven Tobolowski. Lost the medical community there. <laughs> We got to lose somebody every episode. It just happens. 
Uh, Stephen Tobolowski most likely won his role by letting Christopher Nolan know that he was once experiencing amnesia personally after taking experimental painkillers. So. That whole scene, like Maddie said, when she's like, it's time to take my shot. It's time to take my shot. It's so sad, too. It is. Like, how many times did she have to go until she realizes, like, this is a real, this is real. Yeah, it was unexpected for me. Like, I wrote down on my notes here, like, surprisingly emotional um, during those scenes. But, um, yeah, the entire script was thought out by Nolan and his brother Jonathan on a cross-country road trip. And it's the first non-documentary feature of the 2000s to be preserved by the National Film Registry in 2017, which is a big deal. Um, that's really interesting. So it's preserved forever, or at least we hope. So I like had to look that up to make sure that was a fairly accurate statement, and it is. That's wild. It, you have 10 years until you're officially um, eligible for that. So that was, what, 17 16 years? Yeah, 16 years. Yeah. Something like that. But you no, know, that's impressive that it was like the first non-documentary. Yeah, that's really interesting. But I will also say about the fun fact of him and his brother thought this on a cross-country road trip. It's like, at what point do you pause and say, okay, now picture this, Chris. Everything's in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. You have to think, like, you can't just be like, you know what? I got an idea for a movie. Guy has amnesia, but guess what? The whole movie's in reverse. Yeah. If you start off that way, it's like, no, no, not going to work. But yeah, I do wonder if, if I were to watch this in chronological order, if I would still hold it in high regard. Um, I, I'd be interested to see that. So. All right. Any other thoughts on Memento before we move on to our next one? I'm scared for this one. Yeah, we'll see how many thoughts we have on this one. Um, so this was one I have to say I knew I was going to pick this because when I see all these lists of top tens from 2001, I have seen numerous, numerous people list this film as not only their number one of the year, but number one of the decade or even the century. And so it's like, we got to watch it. Um, it also earned a Best Director nomination for one David Lynch. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about now, I'm talking about Mulholland Drive. Um, fun fact, when I was six years old and saw a post of this, I thought it was Mulholland Doctor because that's what DR meant to me. It's like stylized that way. So, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain this film. Basically, it's the story of a woman. Um, Got to get her name here. Um, who goes by Rita. That's right, because she looks at a Rita Hayworth poster. Um, she is basically involved in an accident at the beginning of the movie, car accidents, um, where it appears she's about to be like assassinated. And once again, connection to Memento, she gets amnesia from the experience and has no idea who she is. And so she finds her way to an LA apartment, um, which is the new home of Betty, played by Naomi Watts. She has come to Hollywood to be a big actress and getting to the film community. And together, they try to solve this mystery of who Rita is. Um, simple enough, right? Wrong. There's so much other stuff going on in this movie. There's 
a guy who sees a creepy dream figure at one point. And there's the story of a movie director um, who eventually works into the story with the two women. Um, there's just a, a lot going on. I'm just going to read the IMD plot synopsis. After a car wreck on the winding Mulholland Drive renders a woman amnesiac. She and a perky Hollywood hopeful search for clues and answers across Los Angeles in a twisting venture beyond dreams and reality. I've seen a lot of people say that if you don't like this film, you just don't get it. I don't think anybody gets this movie. I think people might have their own personal interpretations of it, but I don't think anybody has it completely figured out, whatever. I think David Lynch probably sits in his armchair with a glass of whiskey and laughs at people who think that. Um, it's, it's weird. It's hard to follow. To me, it feels like an amalgamation of a, a large number of film genres that David Lynch kind of threw together. I mean, you got some romance, some mystery, some, I, some surrealism for sure. I don't know. I found it very overrated to wind this up. Um, very overrated. Definitely not. No number one of the century for sure. Um, I didn't dislike it per se. I don't know. Kind of disliked it. I don't know. What say you all? Well, um, yes. <laughs> um, this is one of the few movies I didn't give a rating to it on Letterboxd because I don't know what to rate this. You know? Um, yeah, it is a very confusing film. I, it's hard enough to even try and read into it. It's further hard listening to people talk about it in such high praise. Because again, like Brett says, I don't think they really like it. Sometimes I think people are just saying they like it because everybody else thinks they like it. There's not a chance in hell that anybody can sit there and say, you know what, this is the best film that's ever been made ever in the history of film fine to david lynch his stuff is weird i know maddie likes twin peaks a lot uh the first season was good of twin peaks and then it it got into like this kind of territory <laughs> but no and this is my second time seeing this and on further watching i it upsets me it's this is an upsetting movie because i like to sometimes know what's happening sometimes like to revel in a mystery but this is just a goddamn mystery that I can't understand and it hurts me and I feel personally attacked by this film because I know everybody loves it and I can't I just can't that's fair that's it, that's it. <laughs> this is like one of the most controversial picks we've ever done how dare you Brett <laughs> <laughs> I had to I had to <sighs> yeah I don't know what to think. Also, you know, you start watching it and it seems like you're like, oh, look at this like neo, like noir movie. Like, you know, yeah. it's trucking along and then it just fucking goes off the rails and you're like, oh God. And then it just doesn't stop. <laughs> and you're just waiting for it to stop and be normal again. It's just funny because like, there's like, hints of like david lynch being like a norm a normal director where he's not doing anything crazy in the movie and it just has like a normal story going along like normal camera shots normal everything and then he just i don't 
I had to look at the Wikipedia after this because yeah. I just have no idea. I still don't know. I know that I didn't like it and I don't want to see it again. And honestly, I don't remember anything that happened. It was like <sighs> some crazy fever dream. And I'm sure David Lynch would like love to hear that because he's wacky, but like, <laughs> I just want to understand it. <laughs> And yeah, I agree. Anybody who says they understand this movie is a liar. Send me hate mail. I don't care. You're lying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Boo. <laughs> That's all I have to you're, say. <laughs> you're like a super fan of Twin Peaks, too. I love Twin Peaks. It's so, so you're good. Like, you're exposed to David Lynch, so you understand his like oddities and stuff, you know? Sure. And like, I feel like Twin Peaks, I've seen... Uh, Blue Velvet, and then you know, I've also um, what was that movie that he distanced himself from that because he hated it so much? Oh, yeah, Dune, I've seen that too. Um, <laughs> but um, Twin Peaks, I feel like, is one of the most seasons one, two is okay, three is I don't even know, but I think it's like the most digestible thing that David Lynch has done and the most like explained thing. But this, I just don't. I just don't even know. I don't even know. Like, he's a good director, too, because Blue Velvet, I like Blue Velvet. Like, that's even easy to comprehend and understand, even though it, it, it sort of borders on this. It's like the junior version of this, where it makes you think. And it's like, why are these people connected? What do they all have to do with each other? But this is like, um, are we sure these people even exist? That's like the mm. biggest thing. Do these people exist or are we thinking they exist because this is Hollywood and everything's a fever dream, to quote Maddie here? <laughs> like, uh. Yeah, and I, I, this is my first Lynch, so welcome to Lynch, Brett. But I, I've always liked, David Lynch just seems like an interesting, cool person to me, even though I've never seen you know, his films before. Yeah, I mean, the film makes me mad, but I'm not mad at David Lynch because he probably loves that it makes me mad. Like, that's probably what he's going for. Uh, but yeah, and I mean, there, there are interesting things. Like, I've seen talks about this being, like, the dream-like idea of what it means to go to Hollywood and succeed versus the terrible reality. And I kind of see that, but there's also details that don't fit into that in the movie. Um and so I, I haven't settled on an interpretation. Oftentimes when I see, you know, why, why do people love this so much? Well, it's all about dreams and reality. And I'm like, that's great. I'll go watch Inception, um, you know, because I get that one and it's fun. But and I don't even like Inception, but I would watch Inception. There you go. Exactly. Um, also, I don't know what Billy Ray Cyrus is doing here, but that threw me for a loop too. So. Oh, yeah. Um, so this actually did get one Oscar nom. It's There have not been many times in the history of the Oscars that a, a film has only gotten a director nomination, and David Lynch has done it twice. Um, so that's interesting. It was originally written as a spinoff of Twin Peaks. Um, it was also originally present, pitched and presented as a television pilot. Budget from Studio Canal was given to help wrap up the ending because it was open-ended as it was to be followed by a television show. Interesting. How would that work? I oh, That'd be a tough sit. Tough watch. 
Um, and it was chosen by Cahiers du Cinema as the best film of the decade, the 2000s. All right, they're high on themselves. I, <laughs> and I want to quote Christian here, Christian's fun facts um, that you wrote here. Quote, I don't know, written as IDK, very fucking confusing. <laughs> that, that is a fact. <laughs> yeah, sorry, folks, that, that's all I got on this movie anything else from you all um i just want to read out this because this is like the weirdest thing in the dvd release of it well there are two things there's no chapters because he wants you to watch this all in one go which i think is very interesting um i watched this on criterion so it really didn't matter there and then he presents us with like 10 questions do you mind if i read these questions go for it okay so and not like this matters after the fact that we all watched it because I'm going to go back and analyze these. But no. number one, pay particular attention in the beginning of the film. At least two clues are revealed before the credits, which I kind of understand because it's, it's to do with that dance scene. Um, notice the appearances of the red lampshade. Can you hear the title of the film that Adam Kesher, who was Justin Throw in this, is auditioning actresses for? Is it mentioned again? An accident is a terrible event. Notice the location of the accident. Who gives the key and why? There's a whole damn YouTube page dedicated to that one question. Notice the robe, the ashtray, and the coffee cup. What is felt, realized, and gathered at Club Silencio? Who cares? Did talent alone help Camilla? Notice the occurrences surrounding the man behind Winkies. And where is Aunt Ruth? Yeah, not taking the time to do that, but I'm sure there are plenty of people who just go ape over that, so... Oh, I do have one more thing I want to mention because there's a scene in this. There's a jump scare in this. Did it get the two of you? Like, did it get you pretty good? Um, I mean, I, it's weird because I have seen the gifts of it and then it's like, oh, that's this movie? <laughs> it got me. It did. It really woke me up from being it got you. Okay. brain dead <laughs> about the whole thing. I feel like I was like yeah. <laughs> blacking out the whole time and that kind of just like shook me back into it. <laughs> yeah i don't know the only i guess the only like positive thing that i can say about this movie although like i did like the acting performances a lot i thought naomi watts had really interesting acting choices for it um but it invoked an emotional response even if it was rage art does that so success i guess (laughs) this is true yeah it is a good jump scare i will give it that so. And it gave us Naomi Watts. That, that's true. And I, I agree. I did like her performance in this. Um, that's definitely a highlight. So, All right, Christian. May, may I end this one with something before I start my next one? Go, go for it. Silencio. <sighs> Shivers. Thank you. Am I next? Oh, I am next. What do you know? I have the next one. Okay, so we're done with the mind. Now we're going to go to quirky little oddities again. And we're going to New York City for this one. And it is Wes Anderson's The Royal Tenenbaums. It is the story of the titular Tenenbaum family. Their patriarch, Royal Tenenbaum, sort of wants to get back into their lives um, and hatches a plan by saying that he is dying. Um, This is a very quirky film. It has, uh, what the heck is her goop name? Gwyneth Paltrow. 
Wow, the goopery. Gwyneth Paltrow as the daughter, and then Ben Stiller and Luke Wilson as the sons for the Tenenbaum family. They each have their own little distinctions. Like Gwyneth is a writer in this. Luke is a former tennis player, sort of, you know, down in the dumps. And then Ben Stiller has two sons and his wife died in a plane crash and he's very protective of them. And they all come together to sort of get behind Royal, Tenen Royal Tenenbaum. It's such an interesting thing. Like his name is Royal Tenenbaum, so yeah. Um, sort of get behind him and bring the family a little bit closer, even though they all have their differences with one another. Um, very Wes Anderson-y. This is his third feature film after Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. Yes. Um, it's one of my favorite of his. I love the aesthetics of all of his films. I think this one gets me more because I like family dynamics in movies, especially like the ones that are at ends with each other and everybody is at ends with this. There's no one person that specifically you really love because they're all a little bit of assholes to each other. And that's sort of just the way that they were raised by Royal. Angelica Houston is also in this as the matriarch of the family. She's divine as always. Um, great soundtrack. A lot of the music is um, Simon and Garfunkel, which I love. And it's not like the graduate soundtrack. This is their more upbeat stuff. Especially like the me and Julio down by the schoolyard. That's like my favorite part in this film. But yes, um, I love this film. I know you two probably hated it, but like, I love it. <laughs> so go. Yeah, as per usual, I got a text from Christian after I gave this four stars out of five and you hated it. <laughs> but yeah, I... I um. I, I do really like Wes Anderson's style. This is the first time I've seen this film of his. I like every Wes Anderson movie I've seen. There's one that I think is like great capital G and that's Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, and so this is probably like my third favorite. But saying that, it might be the most rewatchable of all his movies. So like I might hold Grand Budapest in higher regard. I mean, I also love like Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think it's an amazing movie, but this one is one where I feel like I could, we could stop recording and I could go watch it again. Um, it kind of has that sense where I feel like if I rewatched it, I would enjoy it. And it's a nice, you know, easy comedic melodrama sit with Anderson's quirkiness. Um, yeah, good performances all around, especially Gene Hackman in the lead role. I was telling Christian how much I miss Gene Hackman. He hasn't been in a movie since like 2004 because he retired. Um, I think my one criticism of it was that to me, there seemed to be a bit, and maybe this is just me and I need to watch it again, but there seemed to be a bit in the middle where it abandoned that a little bit and became more like a typical family melodrama to me for a while. And then that quirkiness showed up again in the end. Um, and so... But aside from that, you know, it's enjoyable all the way through. Great color, great soundtrack, like you mentioned, Christian. Like, literally one of the best soundtracks I've seen, I think, heard, I think, from a movie. Um, actually, I, I thought this took place in the 60s and 70s for a while until you see, like, the gravestones marking it as one that actually does play, take place in 2001. So it's interesting what they're doing with the style there as well. Um, yeah, def a really fun movie. Like, I had fun with it. So, well, 
Oh, God. <laughs> when you when you were talking about how you gave it four stars and Christian was like, so you hated it. <laughs> I was like, uh-oh. I don't remember how many stars I gave it, but um so I like all I feel like Wes Anderson might be my favorite director, like consistently, like everything he puts out. I've liked everything that I've watched by him so far. This is maybe my least favorite of his movies that oh, I've no. seen. And there goes Christian. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. I okay, but I didn't I didn't dislike it as the thing. Maybe I liked it the least out of all of his movies, but I still really enjoyed it. I love his aesthetic, the ensemble cast, like his casts are always amazing. I loved Ben Stiller in this. Again, he played a buff boy as he does in like every movie that he does, which is, I love that convention. Um, but I really liked um, Angelica Houston in this. She's awesome. Gwyneth Paltrow, she played the like stoic female character that's in all of his movies. I feel like there's always one of them. Um, but I feel like she played... Um, sounds silly but like dynamic stoicism like sometimes you could see that break in it like in her eyes or in her like very slight smile um i liked that the wilson brothers didn't play brothers in the movie i thought that was fun um overall i enjoyed it um i felt maybe some of it to, it felt a little disjointed to me near the end a little bit and i feel like it wrapped up kind of quickly um but overall i really enjoyed it and this was my first time seeing it as well i think it's one of my mom's favorite wes anderson movie too good <laughs> one of the coffins likes it a lot uh but yeah gene hackman oh so good i did i don't know why I'd, i wouldn't expect him to to see him in this role but i also didn't know that he was still alive <laughs> christian leaves again <laughs> You know he lives I, in San Jose, right? I don't blame you. Thank you. <laughs> he, he hasn't been in anything for 16 years, so. Exactly. Well, he, lives, he lives in Santa Fe, so if you're ever in Santa Fe, which Maddie, you're very close. <laughs> I am. Down. <laughs> I know there's a lot of celebrities to go hunting for in Santa Fe. Um, but yeah, overall, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was really interesting. I really liked all of the familial dynamics for sure. And yeah, I think Wes Anderson is just so creative and so unique. And I like all of his movies. I know it sounds like I didn't like this movie, but I liked this movie, I promise. <laughs> I liked him. Um, I especially like Luke Wilson in this. Like, Yeah, he's good know. too. Him and uh, Paltrow's dynamic in this is really strong. And then it's really sad when he like has his um, suicide attempt, spoiler mm -hmm. alert, I guess, that it's shot so beautifully. And it's weird to say about a suicide attempt, but it's a Wes Anderson thing. Everything is shot so nice. Mm -hmm. Which is why like, he recently had a trailer, not recently, it was like months ago for his new film, The French Dispatch. And I, I just saw people like going after him, like, this looks like all of your other films, blah, 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 do something different. And I'm like, that's the point. It's a Wes Anderson movie. You know, y'all preach about the auteur theory all the time. Like, this is his style. Um, and I love it. It always works for me. Even like Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, it feels just like the live action films. Yeah.
He is one of the easiest filmmakers to watch, I will say. His, his movies are very digestible. You can easily watch them, I will yes. say. Um, I don't care for Life Aquatic much, but whatever. I've heard that quite a bit, so. Uh, can I ask a question that's also a bit of a spoiler? A minor, minor spoiler alert here. Did Wes Anderson get, like, attacked by a dog as a child or something? Because... Spoiler, he's killed at least two or three dogs in the movies I've seen. He's also got Isle of Dogs, so I don't know. It's, it's a weird connect there, but those poor dogs. Oh, my God. Maybe Isle of Dogs is his reconciliation with the canine community. Awesome. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I think Snoopy's death in um, Moonrise Kingdom, is, it feels more dramatic than this one. I know the damn dog gets hit by a car, but, like, <laughs> shanked with a bow and arrow. Because we see it in that one, don't, yeah. We, don't we? Yeah. So, but yeah, that that Buckley, that was that's the dog's name. Is it's Buckley? <laughs> or Buckley? But yeah, Christian. Do you want to go over our fun facts here? Yes, this is my adopted daughter. The fun facts. <laughs> Please say you remember that line. Okay. So, though filmed in New York, filmmakers went to efforts to distinguish the movie's backgrounds from NYC, representing different time periods. You can definitely tell. Um, I just remembered that, like, Ben Stiller's apartment before they leave it is very modern. And you get to the Tenenbaum's house in the very 70s. Gene Hackman won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Comedy Musical. Huzzah. And Hackman knew that he was at the end of his career and wanted this to be a fun film to make. But instead, he was difficult on set, and mm. Bill Murray had to call him the fuck out. Yes. So much so that I also read that Bill Murray was on set when he didn't need to be. And again, if you've seen this, Bill Murray is maybe in a grand total of 10 minutes of this yeah. film. So, but they all, a lot of the cast wanted to support Wes Anderson. They're like, Gene, stop being a dick. <laughs> Anderson's most profitable movie until the Grand Budapest Hotel. Number 68 on BBC's Best Movies of the 21st Century list from 2016. Many inspirations, including the divorce of Anderson's parents and works from Orson Welles, Louis Malier, and J.D. Salinger. Named the 159th greatest film ever in a poll by Empire Magazine. And inspired, and I can definitely see this, Arrested Development. Great show for three seasons. So. Yeah. Oh, ooh, the shade. <laughs> Oh, and I don't think I said this, but it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Which is deserved. Yep. Yeah. I can see that. And my childhood fun fact from this film <laughs> is that the poster always seemed very interesting to me. And particularly the fact that Ben Stiller and his two sons all look alike with their little afros and their tracksuits. And I yeah. always wanted to see this growing up, but I always saw that it was R-rated. So I was like, it's probably a dirty movie. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah. Any final thoughts on the Royal Tenenbaums before we move on? All right. <laughs> Maddie, take us away with our final movie. Somebody. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Damn you. <laughs> I was actually just thinking I should have written this to the tune of All Stars. All right. Yes. All right, let's let's get this ogre with, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So I didn't realize this, but this is like another, I picked two movies with the first names of the characters in the title, which I thought was funny. So Shrek is an ogre who lives in peaceful solitude in his swamp until countless fairy tale creatures are relocated to his land as decreed by Lord Farquaad. We follow Shrek as he journeys uh, with a talking donkey to confront Farquaad and accepts the quest to retrieve Princess Fiona so she can marry Farquaad. <laughs> Sorry, I'm watching Christian still laughing. <laughs> um, so uh, Shrek goes to retrieve Princess Fiona so she can marry Farquaad and he can become king and Shrek will get his swamp back. However, this quest does not prove to be so easy as once he rescues her, they begin to learn more about one another and eventually fall in love. Fiona is hiding her own secret um, that she turns into an ogress after dark and the curse can only be broken by true love's kiss. Blah, blah, blah. Shrek and Fiona kiss. The curse is broken. Fiona remains an ogress and the audience learns a thing or two about self-acceptance and self-love. That's the entire plot, because if you haven't seen this movie by now... Like, come on. Literally. <laughs> I Wow. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. This and Lord of the Rings is the reason why I picked this year. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't help it. It's such a great movie. Um, timeless. I think it has a really important message. I think kids and adults can enjoy it. Uh, there's humor for both kids and adults, for <laughs> sure. Um, All-star cast, I love John Lithgow as Lord Farquaad. He's great. Um, Eddie Murphy, awesome. Um, and I really like Mike Myers as the role of Shrek as well. Um, and it's just like a little tidbit. Last year, I saw... Um, I saw Smash Mouth live at Ooh. the at the Albuquerque State Fair in in the rodeo pit like they had just had the rodeo and then Smash Mouth came out and everybody's just standing in the dirt and there's Smash Mouth. It was the most surreal experience of my life. I literally cried from like how insane I felt at the time. I'm laughing, but like I would be first in line for that concert. That was 100%. Great. <laughs> oh, and also I love that Smash Mouth is in to like they're in Shrek and they're in Rat Race, like in 2001. That's so funny to me. But yeah, I feel like that just I mean Smash Mouth is 2001. But anyways, Shrek is what we're here for. Uh, so yeah, love this movie. <laughs> Oh God, we're ending on a high note. <laughs> uh, no, great, great film. Um, I watched it, like, I guess two years ago because I watched the entire series. The second one slaps. The second one is The Godfather Part Two of animated sequels, I will say. Um, but this is, it's so adult too. Like, how did my parents, how did I laugh as a kid with this when there's so many adult jokes in this and they're all like sexualized jokes <laughs> i mean adults please show this to your kid they're not gonna get it they'll just laugh and think they get it but no it's a great film and i'm glad maddie picked it because we all needed to see it and i think this is only like the second time we've ever picked an animated film before so along with ratatouille yeah, yeah. so this is a big deal
Yeah. I I have always loved this movie. Like I remember seeing it in theaters. Got it right when it came out on VHS. Um what I realized this time is that I like no joke, this is one of the funniest movies I have ever seen. Um like just pure makes me laugh audibly every time I watch it. I know the jokes are coming and they still hit. Like the damn the damn presentation in Duloc, like uh, wipe your shoes, wipe your face, like that. I lose it every single time. Um, it's one of the most quotable movies ever because there are like a thousand quotes in this thing that you can recite, and people I like will know. That That's a nice boulder. Oh, <laughs> also love, but you only look at this at night. Shrek's ugly twenty four seven. Donkey has. Eddie Murphy, one of the best voice performances ever here. And it's so recognizable. This is one of those times where I think you have those performances where their voice performance transcends and we know who it is and we think about them. But this is like the entire cast. Like I remember Mike Myers and Cameron Diaz hosting the Kids' Choice Awards because of the second movie. So like even kids, like I knew who they were. I knew who was voicing these characters because um, they're so notable. Um, yeah, I can gush about this movie all day. I love it. And you're right, Christian, like the adult jokes, like they're, they're veiled. You're not, most kids are probably not going to get them. Um, they work that way. So like as you grow up and you watch, there's more and more to pick out every time. Stuff that you may not have noticed before things along those lines and but i mean and aside from all that shrek is just like this totally unexpectedly relatable character because you know he acts like he doesn't care he's just this big ugly ogre who's doesn't want have anything to do with society but by the end it's revealed that he does care he wants to be welcomed you know he doesn't enjoy being referred to as an outsider, as an outcast, um, despite the act that he puts on. And so... Are we talking about Shrek or the guy in the White House? Wow. But unch <laughs> I'm going to stop there. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you for picking this, Maddie, because I, honestly, if you wouldn't have, I would have made sure we were going to watch it because this movie is one of the best animated movies ever and absolutely hilarious. So. A statement. You know it. And also the musical is great. I'm just going to put that out there. Christian, did we see that together? Okay, thank you. <laughs> you saw it on Golden Globes night 2011. Oh my wow. Jesus. <laughs> Intermission, I was checking my phone and I was like, did Natalie Portman win? Did Natalie Portman win? I remember that. <laughs> and it's also filmed and I think it's on Netflix. Cool. Maddie, do you want to go over some of the fun facts for this one? Yes. Some, some of the... Uh, all of them. All there's of them. so many. There is, okay, yeah, there's so many. <laughs> all the fun facts for all these movies, this, none of them exceeded 100 fun facts on IMDb except for this one, for these particular set of films. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. So it has one Oscar win. This is the first time that Best Animated Feature was in the Academy Awards and it beat out uh, Jimmy Neutron, 
and Monsters Incorporated. Okay. Um, one uh, other Oscar nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. Became the first film since 1953's Peter Pan to be screened at the Cannes Con. Uh, Chris Farley was originally cast as Shrek and had recorded almost all of his dialogue before his death. Yeah, I didn't I, know that. That's oh, really? That. You should go yeah. I think some of his stuff is on YouTube, or I think they've put some of his... Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very really, different. Wait, wait, were you today years old when you found that out? I was like two seconds ago when I found that out. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, cost an additional $4 million when Mike Myers wanted to add Shrek's iconic accent for re-voiceover sessions. Good decision, in my opinion. Yeah. Or else we wouldn't have Donke. And we, <laughs> we all need that <laughs> in our lives. <laughs> uh, um, Eddie Murphy received a BAFTA nomination, uh, the first of its kind. Can you be like, what? That's a, wow. Impressive. Uh, it has 36 unique locations. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know. Oh. Hmm. Is that counting? They're like, they have a um, what a montage when they're like walking to and from Fiona's castle. Wow. Those are probably involved yeah. in that. Because that's a lot of locations. Um uh the principal actors never met one another during recording sessions. Wow. That's fast. They all have really, really, really good chemistry. So that yeah. surprises me, but that's awesome. Just shows how good of actors they are, I guess. Um, the rise of DreamWorks animation with such films as Ants and The Prince of Egypt, along with other non-Disney films in the late 90s, led to the creation of Best Animated Feature, where Shrek would become the first winner. I didn't even think about that because, yeah, if there was anything before this, Disney would just, I mean, what competition yeah. is there? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I didn't even think about that. That's so funny. Um, AFI 10 Top 10. Oh, it's number eight best animated, animated feature. The only non-Disney or Pixar film on the list. <laughs> wow. Uh, co-directed Andrew Adamson got away with many of the adult jokes that DreamWorks leader Jeffrey Katzenberg vetoed against. I want to know what those are. Uh, Lord Farquaad could be based on DreamWorks co-founder Jeffrey Katzenberg's former frenemy at Disney, Michael Eisner. Another jab at Disney. Haha. Very good. There's a bitter, there's a bitter breakup with those two, and it's a great story for a different day. Ooh, yes. Uh, also musical, yes. Uh, common knowledge, the soundtrack slaps hard. <laughs> and that's a fact. <laughs> uh, oh, and then a uh, YouTube channel, Sideways, explains why each song works with the film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I really do enjoy the soundtrack. Um, it's kind of goofy and kind of silly. And then I think, like, in the third movie, when the Frog King is dying, they play, like, Live and Let Die. <laughs> by Paul McCartney. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the soundtrack slaps. It's like, it's definitely like freezing 2001 in time with that, but kind of like seals the deal on it. And I, I like that about it. It has possibly the perfect ending song. 
for like any movie ever. Like to include I'm a Believer. I remember as a kid, I'm like, damn, yeah, okay. I didn't say damn, of course, but yeah. It's weird how many movies growing or songs growing up I just associated with Shrek. Like I'm a Believer, All Star, Hallelujah. Like weird growing up that I associate with that with Shrek looking back now, but that was like the first place I heard that song. So so should I give my childhood story to this? Uh, of yes. course, of course. Well, one, I will say I work at a hardware store and sometimes when I'm stalking, I have to get on high ladders and we have one ladder that is very shaky. And once while my coworker was holding it, she said, just don't look down. And of course I had to go, Shrek, I'm looking down. <laughs> and she began profusely laughing and because of that, it's kept shaking the damn ladder. But my childhood story with this one is this came out on May 18th. The only reason I can tell you that off the top of my head is because that was my elementary school best friend's birthday. And instead of going to this, like I really wanted to, I had to go to his birthday party. Oh. Yeah. What a sacrifice. Man. But I went the next day. So, yeah. Very nice. And again, Shrek 2, incredible. Yeah, also very, very good. All right. Well, any thoughts on Shrek before we get into our long list of honorable mentions in 2001? All right. So normally we go through these. I should call them notable films because not all of these, I would say, are, are honorable, honorable movies. But um, normally we go through and give a little bit of thoughts on each of them. I don't know. What do y'all think? Do we want to do that? Or should I just go through these real quick? Because we have got a grand total of 39. So if y'all want to provide voiceover, totally Christian does. Okay. Oh, I am. Okay, cool. So number one on the list is Training Day, Oscar winner Denzel Washington. A surprise best actor win. Because if you listen to our last podcast, you will hear the sad story of how Russell Crowe lost his chance of winning a double Oscar to Denzel Washington. However, it's kind of a good win, and he's very evil in this film, and y'all should definitely watch it, because it is surprising. I would, yeah, I would take him over Russell Crowe. I mean, we'll get, we'll get into that, but yeah, definitely. And Ethan Hawke is very good in it as well. Yes. Um, we also talked about Halle Berry um, being to date the only woman of color to win Best Leading Actress, and that was for Monsters Ball, which we all three have strong opinions on. Um, not fans let's put it that way it's not good it's not good it's not, not good, good at all I just don't buy it I just don't I mean like I just don't buy that all of a sudden Billy Bob Thornton stops being racist and is like why yes I am in love with this uh, beautiful vivacious black lady while my like father just exists in this house and like i don't know i was like no way no way this no. is utterly ridiculous yeah it's like how in green book vigo mortensen solves racism by like hugging a black man in this case um billy bob thornton solves racism by having sex with a black woman is basically the stance that this movie takes so the sad thing though is if and i i asked this to maddie today i'm pretty sure i've asked you brett or you've told me if Halle Berry would not have won, would there be a leading Black actress to have won the Oscar? Would it have been Viola for a role that she now doesn't even like herself for the help? 
like? I don't know. Where, like, I, where would we be? I hate even thinking that, having to think about how Oscar voters might have thought, oh, well, we already gave it to a Black actress before, so we'll pat... But, like, knowing the Academy probably developed that mindset, so... Anyway, number three, we have Monsters Incorporated, which I love. I know, Christian, you love. Maddie, are you a fan oh, as well? great movie. I love oh, Billy yeah. Crystal. Yes. Oh, so good. Um, another big film, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone, I, if you're from other parts of the world, especially Great Britain, I guess. Um, beginning of that franchise, very nostalgic movie. Very good beginning of that franchise. Yes. Chris Columbus directs and he makes it very feel like kids aimed at it. And then it gets darker. And then as of 2020, boy, oh boy, does it get really dark as we found out that it was written by nobody. We were the authors the whole time. Yeah. Oh. Uh, (laughs) Just thinking about it is like... Um, Donnie Darko, another one where you'll probably have to pull up Wikipedia afterwards, but very interesting early Jake Gyllenhaal movie. It's good until the last half. <laughs> I liked it, but it is interesting. Ocean's Eleven remake. So good. It's so fun. It is very fun. Um, AI artificial intelligence, Steven Spielberg movie. It will stab you in the heart. <laughs> Uh, we got Legally Blonde. Um, great performance from Reese Witherspoon. Definitely, I know a lot of people love that film. It is really good. So, Wait, Maddie, have you seen what we've spoken of so far? Um, I haven't watched Donnie Darko yet. I have it from the library. I'm planning to watch it soon. Um, and I haven't seen AI, but I've seen everything else so far. Yeah, I haven't seen AI either. Banned. And snap. <laughs> also a musical. <laughs> also a musical. Yep. Um, we have the others ghost story with Nicole Kidman. You remember when you you and Allie came to my yes. house and watched it? Yes, of course I do. Her breath smells. I remember. <laughs> and then Allie was like, "Is that breast milk?" She's saying. Oh. That's like what <laughs> Breast milk? No, her breath smells. (laughs) It's a great movie, though. It's a great scary movie. It is. I I have pictures of us watching and reacting to that movie. That's when we made that like cut brownie thing. Yes. I don't think they made. Sorry, we're diving into our. (laughs) No, no problem. That's what it's all about. Gosh, I keep. I keep forgetting about all these movies that came out this year. The Princess Diaries, two thousand one. I saw that with my cousins the day it came out in little podunk Kansas movie theater. And my cousin at the time looked just like Anne Hathaway. (laughs) She was in the ugly stage of that film. (laughs) We just lost another follower potentially. (laughs) Uh, They're family. They can't leave. (laughs) Yeah, true. Uh, Yeah, that's great. It has the the, like worst best friend in any movie in existence in that movie i can't remember the name of the actress who plays her but she's a terrible oh, friend Maserato. yeah mm-hmm. worst but a great movie um the fast and the furious 
this, what are they up to now? Nine started in 2001. You had the chance to kill it here. <laughs> uh, Bridget Jones's Diary. Reese, uh, I about said Reese Witherspoon again. Renee Zellweger. She got a nomination for it. And I, it's a good, it's funny. She's really good in it. And I guess like the character of Bridget Jones is so highly revered. And it's like up there with like Paddington and Harry Potter for the best fictional British characters. Yeah. Nice. Um, the Piano Teacher, which I think, Christian, you said was your favorite French film. From this year. Yeah, so this year. So it's, it's very good. I believe it won actor and actress at the Cannes Film Festival, um, Isabelle Huppert, who Brett and I really enjoy. It's really good. It's about a piano teacher who sort of falls for her student. And I think the word is sadomasochistic or something. Mm. She, likes to, she likes to hurt herself. Yeah, and hurt herself and get it on. And it's very eye-opening from the director of Amour, Michael Haneke, Michel Haneke. Yeah, that yeah. guy. Um, so yeah, I saw it a few years ago and it's great. Like, I really wanted to watch it, just didn't have the time. Awesome. Um, we got Black Hawk Down, which earned Ridley Scott a Best Director nomination. Meh. <laughs> I haven't seen it in forever and I didn't really desire to watch it. So that's an ugly movie. Um, we have Hannibal sequel to silence of the lambs sequel prequel. What even is it? I haven't seen it. Okay. Sequel. Jody ain't in it though, but it's Julianne Moore. So like it, it pays off, I guess. She's really good in it. I like it. The book is hard to read. The movie's easier. Okay. Uh, we got Spy Kids from this year. These these are just all the movies from our childhood. It's awesome. Um, we got Tortilla Soup. Great. Okay, there is not a whole lot of like Mexican American films out there. All right, Tortilla Soup is one of them. That's amazing. It's a remake of Ang Lee's Eat Drink Man Woman. It's on oh. Amazon. The food in it is fucking delicious looking like it opens on a table of just the sprawling mexican food and i love it and it meant so much to me when i watched it for the first time representation yes nice um josie and the pussycats film came out this year that movie slapped so hard (laughs) soundtrack very nice my childhood right there Jeepers Creepers, which I know startled and uh, basically traumatized many of my classmates growing up. Um, it's a small town. Yep. Um, another animated film, Atlantis, The Lost Empire, also from Disney. Decent. Decent. Um, the Devil's Backbone, Guillermo del Toro, correct? Si. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't, did you watch it in your Spanish class, Maddie? Uh-uh. Okay, because I know Senora showed it in one of them, but it wasn't mine. Oh, Monroe? Yeah. Not Kirchhoff. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's good. It's part of like um, Pan's Labyrinth set during the Spanish Civil War, and it's a ghost story. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Now I wish I had watched it for this. Um, Wet Hot American Summer. Which is. Um, Spawned a lot of famous actors. Amy yeah. Poehler, Bradley Cooper gets it on with a guy in it. So, 
used to watch that a lot. <laughs> uh, we have Iris, which um, got Jim Broadbent an Oscar win for Best Supporting Actor. <laughs> it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> like you, re- you have to be British to know who Iris was and actually care. And I am not British, and I did not care. All right. Um, Christian's favorite movie from this year, I Am Sam. I watched this at the time of this recording this morning, and I hated it. So, <laughs> Sean Penn is, um, that performance is very disgraceful, I think, to people who have mental disabilities. Um, the plot is not plausible at all, and it just made me feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Pearl Harbor also came out this year. Um, Parents love that movie. <laughs> I know a lot of people love that movie. Michael Bay. I don't know. Um, we also have Ali, the Muhammad Ali biopic starring Will Smith. That I don't know. For me, it's just not vibrant enough to be about Ali. Um, but I did enjoy it, and Will Smith is really good. So, um, Scary Movie Two came out this year. Classic, of course. Uh, we also have Rat Race for this year. That's for Maddie. Such a great movie. It's so good. What a cast. All those comedians. So good. I love That's it. That's wild. I haven't seen it in forever. And for some reason, I thought it was like late 90s. But... I think it's on Amazon. I think you're right. Solid in theaters, too, by the way. <laughs> wow. You should have bought a squirrel. Let's go to the Barbie Museum. okay we have along came a spider um with morgan freeman yeah it's really good really good thriller i don't know if it's got like good reviews but i mean oh boy i was on the edge of my seat interesting um jimmy neutron boy genius the other animated feature film nomination from that year it's very good very good i remember we got to see that like my school like we got to take a day to go see that movie. Like, did it come out around Christmas? It was my Christmas movie 2001. Yeah, so every Christmas, they like took all the elementary kids to see a movie on like the last day before Christmas break. And that's what we saw. So, Aww. yeah. A <laughs> um, couple that I watched. One, uh, first one directed by Richard Linklater is Tape. Really good. Like literally a $100,000 budget um, with Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman somebody else's name i can't remember but really good movie um another one that he directed was waking life which is a rotoscope animated film really interesting technique like probably the first link later film i've seen that I actually disliked so wouldn't recommend that one but um the happiness of katakuris am i saying that right I think so. When I was looking for movies that I've seen from this year, that came up, and I just wanted to mention it. It's a very strange Japanese film. I would compare it to a movie um, called House or Houseu. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of different like that, but I've seen it, and it's on Amazon. I watched it for a Letterbox challenge. So. Yeah. We also have Hardball, which Christian, you put, have not seen, but first film released the week of 9-11. Yeah. I would also say another film not to watch regarding race and racism. <laughs> like, 
it's like it's a keanu reeves white savior movie um it's all about like um gang crime and whatnot and so he's basically a kid's baseball coach so it's just interesting to think like what was the first movie the week of 9-11 yeah i mean it it made a little bit of box office too because it's like do people want to go you know yeah interesting we had a couple that um, were released, at least in some parts of the globe, this year, but were not eligible until next year's Oscars, Spirited Away, which, Maddie, I know you're a big fan of, correct? I am a huge fan. I love Miyazaki films. It's so good. It's funny because these Spirited Away and then the next one are the ones that I tried to choose for this <laughs> year, but I couldn't because they weren't eligible. <laughs> uh, but they're Which... both very good. <laughs> So we're just going to have to watch them for our 20, 2002 episodes. So gonna have to. there we go. Um, that second one is Itumama Tambien from Alfonso Coron. So It's sexy. <laughs> uh, These Old Broads, which is a TV movie, which I have never heard of, but the I'm title... I, I have to put it down. A cast, a cast. It has uh, Debbie Reynolds, Shirley MacLaine, Joan Collins, and her, her final role, Dame Elizabeth Taylor. Oh. You know anything about the Elizabeth Taylor and Debbie Reynolds situation? They have a nice scene together where they basically apologize for what happened. It is a TV film. I own it. I bought it right after Debbie passed away, and it oh. is funny. Yeah, it is funny. That's nice. Um, another TV movie called Wit, which I've also never heard of. So this is about Emma Thompson, and she is a cancer patient. It's directed by Mike Nichols, who, great film director. Um, but it was an HBO movie, and I always tell myself, if it weren't for this being on TV, Emma Thompson would be my personal actress pick. Oh. For this. Yes. Wow. Yeah, she is very good in it, and it's a very sad film. Awesome. Well, our final notable film, number 39 on this list... It's actually a mini series, but I'm glad it was put on here because it is absolutely amazing. And it is Band of Brothers um, about a regiment during World War II. So very, very good if you haven't seen it. Awesome. Wow. Big year for movies. Obviously for us, we grew up during this time. Um, and so we're going to see next some of our personal nominations and wins. I know Chris and I, this is like one of our favorite segments we do. And so really excited to see what we got. Um, so we'll start out, at, as always, with Best Adapted Screenplay. And so, is that why you just go with Best, whatever. Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, Maddie, would you like to take us away, starting with your number five, going up to number one? Yeah, definitely. Okay. At number five, I have Ocean's Eleven. At number four, I have In the Bedroom. At number three, I have Memento. At number two, I have Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And at number one, I have Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. (laughs) Listen, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is just the best adapted book in the series, period. So it just had had to be in there, guys. It had to be in there. All right. All right. You know what? I'll, get, I'll go next this time. I'll, Krishna, I'll have you go last. We haven't oh, done that in a while. Boy. Yeah. So my number five is actually Tape, one of the few screenplays that Richard Linklater did not write. Um, 
I'm obviously a big fan of his, if you couldn't tell. Uh, my number four, I have Hedvig and the Angry Inch. My number three, I have the Fellowship of the Ring, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. My number two, I have Shrek. And my number one, I have In the Bedroom, which you probably could have guessed. Last episode. All right, Christian, what do you got? Okay, so number five, I had Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Number four, In the Bedroom. I think that's where Maddie placed it as number four. Number three, Harry Potter. Number two, Shrek. And number one, the real winner, because he did so much with it. Well, they, because there was three of them writing it. But the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. You know what? I, I can't complain. I haven't read the book yet, so I should probably do that. All right, moving on to best original screenplay. Maddie, you want to take us away? Cool. All right. My number five is Spy Kids. Oh my God. <laughs> it's so good. I love it. <laughs> and then I have uh, Training Day. And three is Moulin Rouge. I thought, I mean, it pulls from a lot of different sources, but it seemed pretty original to me. Uh, number two, The Royal Tenenbaums. And then I guess I got confused. I put Memento at number one uh, because, well, you when you were talking earlier about how uh, his brother wrote it, I was like, oh, crap. But then you mentioned that they were, talked about writing it together. And I was like, oh, okay, so it is original. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave it at number one and call it good. <laughs> Call it a day. Yeah, Call and that's how day. the that's how the Oscars because it got an original screenplay nomination, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I I had the same okay. confusion when I was putting mine together. So cool. I it said that the only reason why it's not adapted is because even though it was a short story, like Brett mentioned, it was never published. Oh uh, yeah. okay. Makes sense. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. All right. So um at number five, I have Mulan Rouge. Um, at number four, I have The Others. Number three, I have Monsters Incorporated. Number two, I have The Royal Tenenbaums. And my number one is also Memento. <laughs> okay. Uh, number five, I have Training Day. At number four, I have The Others. At number three, I have Memento. At number two, I have Monsters, Inc. And then at number one, I have The Royal Tenenbaums. Plot twist where Christian doesn't give a writing nom to Moulin Rouge. I am shocked. I am quite shocked. All right. Next, we'll go to Best Supporting Actor. All right. Best Supporting Actor. I have Michael Gambon in Gosford Park, Matt Damon in uh, Ocean's Eleven, Jim Broadbent for Moulin Rouge. Ian McKellen for Lord of the Rings and Ethan Hawke for Training Day. Oh, hot <laughs> twist. Wow. Right. I, to be honest, I didn't even know you've seen Training Day. <laughs> well, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good movie. And that is a great performance. So. Over Ian. I'm, oh my God. Sir, Ian McKellen, excuse me. <laughs> Okay, um, so my number five is Joe Pantoliano for Memento. My number four is Jamie Foxx 
for Ali. My number three is Jim Broadbent for Moulin Rouge. My number two is Eddie Murphy for Shrek. And my number one is Ian McKellen for Lord of the Rings. The fact that Jim Broadbent is like right ear, wrong nomination. Like, if, yes. if, if you ever see Iris, which I don't, I'm not going to ever force anybody to ever see Iris. It's so weird. Why would they go with that? Anyway, um, my number five is Hector Elizondo for Tortilla Soup. And number four, I have Luke Wilson for the Royal Tenenbaums. Number three, I have Eddie Murphy for Shrek. Number two, Jim Broadbent for Iris. I mean, Moulin Rouge. (laughs) And my winner is Sir Ian McKellen for The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. I couldn't decide which Tenenbaum to go with, but a lot of good performances there too. Oh, really quick side note. One movie we didn't mention, uh, it got a nomination for Best Supporting Actor for Ben Kingsley, but it's Sexy Beast. I watched it. It was hard to understand because they have very thick Cockney accents, but it is a gangster film, and he is fucking crazy in it. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Sounds interesting. All right. Maddie, you want to take us away with Best Supporting Actress? Awesome. Uh, I did not feel very inspired for this year for Best Supporting Actress, but... uh, Gwyneth Paltrow for Royal Tenenbaums, Maggie Smith for Gosford Park, Helen Mirren for Gosford Park, uh, Marissa Tomei for In the Bedroom, and at number one, I have Julie Andrews for Princess Diaries. Oh, oh, that's a good, oh. I'm like wondering if I need to make an adjustment here. Uh Uh-oh. I forgot about that performance. Screw it, I'm doing it. Okay. Maddie inspired me, but I agree. Um, this is, I really struggled with this category because I don't think it's a strong year for Best Supporting Actress at all, sadly. Um, but my number five is Julie Andrews for The Princess Diaries. My number four is Helen Mirren for Gosford Park. My number three is Maggie Smith for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Whoa. My number two is Maggie Smith for Gosford Park. And my number one is actually Uma Thurman for Tape, which I know I don't think either of you have seen, but really good performance. (laughs) Christian? Okay. Um, I had to actually make a few adjustments here. This was a hard category. This is a very weak year for supporting actresses. So these are all going to be very weird. Number five, I have Parker Posey for Josie and the Pussycats. Look, that movie rocks, okay? Number four, Angelica Houston for The Royal Tenenbaums. Number three, Jennifer College. Oh, gotcha. For Legally Blonde, Maddie is very pleased. Uh, And number two, and I had to think about this. I had to think really long in the last, like, 40 seconds. (laughs) Gwyneth Paltrow in The Royal Tenenbaums. My number one pick, because I grew up with this, and I love it, and it's perfect, is Dame Julie Andrews for The Princess Diaries. Very yes. nice. Very nice. It was, it, for the longest time, it has been Gwyneth, but I'm, like, thinking, and I'm like, you know what? Yes. Yeah. Upon further, like, thought, I probably might even move her up in some of mine, but I just completely forgot about it until you mentioned it, Maddie, so... All right. 
take us away with best leading actor. All right. I have Mike Myers as Shrek. Four, I have Ewan McGregor for Moulin Rouge. Three, I have uh, Tom Wilkinson for In the Bedroom. Two, I have John Cameron Mitchell for Hedwig. And number one, I have Denzel Washington for Training Day. All right. So I will say supporting actress very weak. I actually thought leading actor was really, really strong this year. I had to leave some off and it upset me. But my number five is Ethan Hawke. And for tape, actually, um, I almost had training day because I, the Oscars gave him supporting or had him in supporting actor, but it was just hard for me to see him as supporting. But I have him for tape. Number four, I have Will Smith for Ali. Mm. He, not the film is not his fault. He has some moments where he is Ali, and it's a pretty impressive. Um, number three, I have Denzel for Training Day. Number two, I have John Cameron Mitchell for Hedvig. And of course, I have Tom Wilkinson as my winner for In the Bedroom. Love that performance. This might be the first time we have like a, a pretty three-way here that's different. So number five, I have Ethan Hawke for Training Day. And number four, one that I don't think I heard from either of you, Gene Hackman. Number six. Okay. Well, Gene Hackman is number four. Number three, Tom Wilkinson for In the Bedroom. Two is Denzel in Training Day. And number one, John Cameron Mitchell for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Good pick. Yeah, those are all three really good picks. Good category. All right, Maddie, take us away with Best Leading Actress. All right. I had at number five, Cameron Diaz for Shrek. At four, I had Nicole Kidman for Others. For three, I had Julianne Moore for Hannibal. For two, I had Nicole Kidman for Moulin Rouge. And number one, I had Sissy Spacek for In the Bedroom. All right. Number five, I have Halle Berry for Monstrous Ball. Okay. All I right. gave her the nom because the first four were set and the five was flexible. So I had her at my five and then I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> That's fair. I literally just changed it 30 seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> my number four, I have Reese Witherspoon for Legally Blonde. Uh, my number three, I have Nicole Kidman for Moulin Rouge. My number two, I have Sissy Spacek for In the Bedroom. And my winner is Nicole Kidman for The Others. Shocker. I knew I was going to get that face, Christian. Love to see it. Wow. Okay. Um, my number five is Isabelle Huppert for The Piano Teacher. My number four is Sissy Spacek for In the Bedroom. My number three is Nicole Kidman for Moulin Rouge. My number two is Reese Witherspoon for Legally Blonde. And I cannot believe Brett did this. I feel like I'm being copied. But my number one is Nicole Kidman in The Others. I'm so glad I went second now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> shook that you did that. I thought you might. I, I imagine you probably thought I was going with Sissy Spacek, but I, that's what I thought. Yeah, Nicole Kidman's so good, though. Again, another case of right year, wrong movie. I mean, like Moulin Rouge, she's really good in it, but I think she's really good in the others because she's having to play with things that aren't there. This is true. 
This is true. Oh, shuck. I'm so <laughs> All right. Maddie, take us away with best director. At number five, I have Wes, Wes Anderson for Royal Tenenbaums. For number four, I have Chris Columbus for Harry Potter and Sorcerer's mm-hmm. Stone. For number three, I have Christopher Nolan for Memento. Number two, I have John Cameron Mitchell for Hedvig. And at number one, I have Peter Jackson for Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, of course. No surprise there. Very nice. All right. I really struggle with my who was going to get my number five, but this is what we got. Number five, I have Wes Anderson for the Royal Tenenbaums. Number four, I have John Cameron Mitchell for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Number three, I have Todd Field for In the Bedroom. Number two, Christopher Nolan for Memento. And number one, absolutely, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, I have number five, John Cameron Mitchell for Hedvig. Number four, Wes for The Royal Tenenbaums. Number three, Boz Luhrmann for Moulin Rouge. Number two, Alejandro Amenbar, Amenabar for The Others. Ooh. And number one, the rightful winner, Peter Jackson for The Lord of the Rings. This is an interesting year because I really had trouble narrowing it to five, but Peter Jackson is also like a major runaway winner for me. Like it's not even close. So, and yet, and yet, little Opie, little Opie won. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay. Final category: our top ten or however many of the year for best picture. Maddie, so hard. This was <laughs> so hard. hard. <laughs> it was hard. Take us away. Awesome. Yeah, this is all over the shop, so get ready. Number 10, The Princess Diaries. Number 9, The Others. 8, Rat Race. 7, Shrek. 6, Training Day. 5, Memento. 4, Moulin Rouge. 3, Hedvig and the Angry Inch. 2, In the Bedroom. And at number 1, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Wait, where was Shrek in that? 7. Okay. That might go above training day. Who am I? It might actually be at like number three. Who am I kidding? <sighs> Who am I kidding? <laughs> that was a difficult one. A lot of good movies for 2001. Yes, definitely. All right. At number 10, I have Moulin Rouge. Sorry, Christian. <laughs> number nine, I have Tape. Number eight, I have The Royal Tenenbaums. Number seven, I have Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Number six, I have Monsters Incorporated. Number five, I have Hedvig and the Angry Inch. Number four, Memento. Number three, Shrek. Number two, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Same as our last episode. And of course, my number one is in the bedroom. Wow. (laughs) That was a look. Y'all are going to be shook about this one. Number 10, Moulin Rouge. I'll wait. Oh. Okay, I don't feel bad anymore. That's no. right. So number 10, Moulin Rouge. Number 9, Legally Blonde. And then I was looking, and on Letterboxd, the next eight films, I have given all five stars. So the last two were four and a half. These are all fives. Number 8, The Princess Diaries. Number seven, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Number six, Hedvig and the Angry Inch. Number five, The Others. 
Number four, the Royal Tenenbaums. Number three, Shrek. Number two, Monsters, Inc. And number one, the Lord of the Rings. The Fellowship of the Ring. It's really interesting. I This may be the first time where all of our number ones were the exact same as when we did the nominee rankings. So possibly. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, really great collection of films. I also noticed I don't think any of us mentioned A Beautiful Mind once in our rankings. So There's no need. Yeah, yeah, not too surprising there. Uh, but yeah, this was yeah. a lot of fun. I stayed a little fun fact. Go for it. So I actually take into consideration more um, categories past what we present here. And The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Rings, surpasses the Wizard of Oz and Sunset Boulevard's nine wins. And it wins for me 11 Christian awards. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's pretty stellar. Yeah, that's Eight. astastonishing, honestly. <laughs> you know, for me, the trouble was like, technical do i go with lord of the rings or moulin rouge on some of them because they're both like you know costumes production design yeah that's impressive really really impressive very nice well um as always thanks for listening um for those listeners that we haven't lost yet i think we're probably at like negative two now as we keep losing every episode but no um thanks for listening as always um you can find us apple um Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, feel free to rate, review, subscribe. It always helps. Um, and check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Um, thanks to Joshua Arnaldi for doing our theme music. Um, and this was fun as always. Maddie, thank you so much for doing this with us and watching these movies and sharing your insights. This has been great. Um, any final thoughts from you? Uh, not really. I mean, really, thank you for having me on. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate you you doing this. This is a lot of a lot of cool fun times and I hope I can do it again soon ish. Absolutely. Tell your friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, any final thoughts from you? Um no, except the our next podcast is going to be lit cuz I mentioned the Lord of the Rings 11 win. Well, the next one my next favorite film of the year might just overpass that and looking like it will. Ooh, I love to hear it. And yes, next time we will be covering the Oscars of 1943. The winner that year was Casablanca, which is amazing. So be sure to tune into that one and we'll talk to you then. 